Our message this morning is entitled, Lepers Cleansed, and will be a continuation of our recent series on the miracles of Christ, as found in Jesus' reply to disciples of John the Baptist, recorded in Matthew chapter 11. Now, just to recap some of the things that we've been discussing lately from Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist has been imprisoned. And in prison, he sends certain of his disciples to Jesus, and they ask him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? And we consider the two options there that perhaps John was experiencing doubt and needed to be encouraged in his faith once again, or John, the other option, was sending his disciples to Jesus that they might follow him as John now was facing the end of his life, and that, as we know, John knew in the Gospel of John, written by John the Apostle, John the Baptist knew that Jesus must increase and John must decrease. So John did anticipate that in his life, Jesus becoming prominent. He knew that he was the forerunner to the Lord Jesus. As The disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus. You'll recall that Jesus' reply is, Go and tell John, go show John again those things which you do see and hear. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. We've considered already two of these, the blind receiving their sight and the lame being raised up to walk again. And as we look at these miracles one after another each week, it's important for us to remember that Jesus' reply to him was not simply happenstance. He wasn't just thinking of things that he had done to encourage John. But these miracles of Christ carried prophetic significance. We looked at that from Isaiah 18 and Isaiah 35, that The Christ was to come and to give sight to the blind, and he was to give hearing to the deaf. He was to cause the lame to rise up again and to walk. And so Jesus not only speaks about the sort of things that he had done as an encouragement to John, but he refers back to Old Testament prophecies that not only say what he had done, but also confirm his identity as the Christ because of the things that he had done. You knew that he was a teacher come from God because of the things that he did. As Nicodemus said to him in John chapter 3, Jesus said in John chapter 10, the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 3 that Jesus was justified, vindicated in the Spirit. The things that he did through the power of the Holy Spirit testified that Jesus was indeed divine. And that's why he gives... John and John's disciples, this list of things, these six types of miracles that he had performed in his earthly ministry. And we've already considered his giving sight to the blind and making the lame to walk again. And so today we come to this third type of miracle that Jesus references here. The lepers are cleansed. The lepers are cleansed. This is very fitting for us today as one of the examples that we will look at last in our message today has much to do with the subject of being thankful. 
having a thankful heart and returning to God and giving God glory for what you've done, or what He's done for you, rather, what He's done in your life, as a matter of thanksgiving. And of course, as you know, what we celebrate at the end of this week, the Thursday of this week, is the holiday that we refer to as Thanksgiving. Now, just myself personally, Thanksgiving is probably my favorite holiday because it's one that you get together with family, you're not expected to buy anyone anything, and you eat a lot, and you eventually watch some football games, and it's just a great time. It's warm enough, but cool enough that it's very pleasant. Usually it's absolutely just my favorite holiday, and I look forward to that. But we need to remember that Thanksgiving was a day in which Americans, it's very much an American holiday, when Americans would devote a day to giving God thanks for all of His blessings. It was at one time the practice of our people in this part of the country even to meet for public worship on Thanksgiving Day. And this was something that Baptist churches would do back in the 1800s. They would meet and give God thanks on Thanksgiving Day and it was their form of a, a national, religious-focused holiday where they would thank God for all of His blessings in their life. The last portion of our message today will look at lepers who were cleansed and their reaction to that. Were they thankful for being cleansed by the Lord Jesus Christ? And I think the answer to that question, whether or not they were thankful is one that is disappointing when you look at the story, when you look at the account. But if you want to be one who does return and give God the glory and the thanks, it's one that will be encouraging for you all the same. As we begin thinking about leprosy today, this has always been a commonly preached and emphasized issue from the Word of God. When I was a little boy, for the first several years of my life, maybe the first eight or nine years of my life, I went to church, not with my dad, who was a primitive Baptist, but I went to church with my mother, who was a Southern Baptist. And so mom, being the, the good Southern Baptist mama that she was, she sent us to vacation Bible school, and she sent us to Sunday school, and she sent us to three-year-old, four-year-old, and five-year-old kindergarten. She, what she was trying to do is to religiously influence the meanness and the depravity out of us Winslet boys as early as she could, and sadly it did not work. Um, I remember going to Vacation Bible School, and the last thing that was discussed at Vacation Bible School among the young people was the Bible. We would play basketball, and we would make fun of each other, and there was even one, the last one, no coincidence, that I went to, there was even a, a small little altercation between a few boys where they'd get into a little bit of a you know, fisticuffs, fist fight between each other. But she would send us to, to all of that, and it was, it was her working out of her duty as a, a Christian mama. And one of the most common themes that I remember hearing in Sunday school and in the sermons on Sunday morning was that of leprosy. It was a commonly preached concept, leprosy. Now, when I began going to church with my dad in sixth grade, as his work schedule changed and he was able to go back to church, we heard many sermons about leprosy, but the theme of it, rather than as it was in Vacation Bible School, that Jesus heals the lepers, the theme of it was that leprosy is a picture of sin. And as the primitive man found their only hope in God, 
in the cleansing of leprosy, so do we find our only hope in God in the cleansing of our sin. And several of the parallels between leprosy and sin, the fact that, as you noted as we carefully selected the title, lepers cleansed, leprosy in the Bible wasn't something that was healed. Leprosy was something in the Bible that was cleansed. And so a leprosy would be cleansed. And that gave a great parallel between sin because our sins don't need to merely be healed. Our sins need to be what? They need to be cleansed. We need to be cleansed of our sins. We sang the song this morning in our song service, Victory in Jesus. Or, excuse me. And the next song that we sang was What Can Wash Away My Sin. Both of those songs speak about our sins being washed away by what? By the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So our sins need to be cleansed. Leprosy was something in the Bible that was always cleansed. It was interesting that I heard about that in both places with a different emphasis in each place, one on the miraculous work of Jesus and the other on the parallel between our sinfulness and leprosy. As we were, as I was studying this this past week, in fact, this was last night as I was reading Lastly, in all of the studies from this past week from medical journals about modern-day leprosy, and we'll consider what we think of today as leprosy versus what primitive man in the Old Testament time perceived as leprosy and see some of the differences in leprosy today versus leprosy then. One medical website actually discouraged preachers, and this was not a religious website, it was a medical website. They, in their little bullet points at the end, discouraged preachers from making the parallel, drawing the parallel between leprosy and sin because in their experience, people who were afflicted with leprosy, and they said, describe them not as lepers, but describe them as people who are afflicted with leprosy. Okay, I know we're all PC today and we have very careful ways of explaining all sorts of issues, but people that are afflicted with leprosy should not be discouraged by saying that leprosy in the Bible is a parallel to sin because it gives it a stigma, a certain stigma, and people who have leprosy will not seek treatment because they will think that people will assume that they are sinned and thereby, or excuse me, they have sinned and are thereby cursed of God. Well, okay, look. The Bible compares our sinful condition to the affliction of blindness. Does that mean that everyone who is blind has somehow sinned and brought that on themselves? We talked about this two weeks ago. Who did sin? This man or his parents that he was what? Born blind. Jesus said, neither. Not every time someone struggles with some sort of an illness or an affliction does it mean that they have sinned and have brought upon the curse of God in their life. When we talk about leprosy being a parallel medical condition to the sinful condition that we all have in Adam in our own depravity, it isn't to say that everyone and anyone who has ever had leprosy had leprosy because God cursed them. But we know that there are many afflictions in this world that, as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, are common to man. Afflictions are common to man. Does sometimes God afflict us with specific afflictions because He curses us for our own sinfulness? Yes. 
Sometimes God calls people to have boils. Sometimes God calls people to have snakes burst into the camp and bite them. And they would die from the venom of the snakes that bit them. Sometimes God caused it to hail. Sometimes God caused drought that starved the ground of water for three and a half years. Sometimes God calls the earth to open up and swallow false teachers. Sometimes fire fell from heaven. God does those things. Sometimes in the Bible, God cursed people with leprosy. But does that mean that every time someone is cursed with leprosy, that they're or afflicted with leprosy, that they're cursed of God and that some sin has brought this about? No. Remember in our first message, I believe it was, or the second message in the series, we talked about the causes of afflictions in the world, the causes of suffering in the world. Some people suffer because of a persecution in their life from that wicked one or his Minions in the world, sometimes people suffer because their affliction is common to man. Sometimes people suffer for the glory of God as Lazarus or that man who was born blind. And yes, sometimes, many times, we suffer because we are under the chastening hand of God. God does chasten every son he receives. And chastening, many times, appears in the form of affliction. And at minimum... We experience the affliction of soul when we do wrong, God convicting us through the Holy Spirit in our hearts where we lament that which we have done which is wrong. And so there are many causes of suffering in the world. So as part of our preface today, please don't think if you ever have leprosy, if you ever have leprosy, that I must have sinned and God must be cursing me because I have leprosy. If you have leprosy, please do not feel as if that stigma should prevent you from going to the doctor to receive antibiotics. If you have leprosy, go to the doctor and receive antibiotics. If you have a sinus infection, go to the doctor and get antibiotics. If you have the flu, go to the doctor and get Tamiflu. It's a very simple concept. If you have a headache, please take two ibuprofen. If you have a bad headache, take four ibuprofen. It's okay to take medicine and to seek treatment. You shouldn't feel stigma as if, well, I've brought the curse of God upon me. It's all right for you to take medicine when you are sick. As far as leprosy being a debilitating disease, this was a chronic illness in the Old Testament. And as we introduce it to you today. We'll turn over to the book of Leviticus chapter 13. That'll be the first passage that we consider together today. Leviticus chapter 13. In the 13th and 14th chapters of the book of Leviticus, we have more than 100 verses that are largely devoted to the affliction of leprosy. Now, feel very relieved. We will not conduct an exposition of all hundred and something verses of Leviticus chapters 13 and 14. And and all of God's people said, Amen. We won't go through verse by verse Leviticus 13 and 14. That would be totally fine and appropriate, but that's not what we're going to do today. We find laws of God given about leprosy. 
Now, as we begin introducing this to you from Leviticus 13, it's important also to understand that what we know today as leprosy is referred to as Hansen's disease. Hansen's disease. And in this form of leprosy, it's, first of all, transmitted through airborne droplets. That means that someone who has leprosy sneezes or coughs and you breathe around them and then you're infected with that virus, similar to how we would receive the flu or any other airborne virus. However, this isn't, I call it a virus. It isn't actually a virus. It's actually a form of bacteria. So some bacteria are transmitted through airborne droplets. This is one of those. This virus afflicts the skin, but it primarily affects the nerves. And as it affects the skin, I was looking at maybe not so advisable to do, but some of the images of people who have been afflicted with leprosy, and they lose feeling in their extremities, their hands and their feet. Their ears begin to become more bulky. Sometimes their nose can seem to withdraw back. Their fingers begin to lose the material that makes them up and become smaller. It's a very, very painful affliction. I read stories of men who lost all the feeling in their hands through the affliction of leprosy, and so they could be burned with a fire and wouldn't realize that they had been burned, and other such graphic things that we won't share with you in the pulpit today. But it was a very, very serious affliction. Now to us, in our modern day with antibiotics, things that used to be life-threatening now to us are not life-threatening. We can take an antibiotic, we can recover, we can heal, and if treatment for leprosy is early enough in the affliction, a person who's suffering from leprosy might not even have any lifelong effects from that. But in the ancient world, a person who was afflicted with that, they would suffer from that, and it could even take their own life. It could cause them to lose their life, to be disabled for the rest of their life if they didn't die from that. But as we talk about leprosy here in Leviticus chapter 13, it's also important to understand that while we define leprosy today as Hansen's disease, in the Old Testament, leprosy had reference to any infection or disease of the skin. Any disease of the skin. So if you had a terrible skin cancer. In that day, that would apply as it would be considered to be leprosy. Extreme cases of psoriasis or eczema could even be considered leprosy in the Old Testament. The Hebrew word that translates leprosy had reference to all sorts of skin ailments and diseases. In fact, and this is interesting, the word could even have reference to mold in a home or some sort of a bacterial colony that grew in someone's clothing. I'll show you a couple of examples of that. In the book of Leviticus chapter 13, excuse me, chapter 14, As they go into Canaan's land, when you become into the land of Canaan, this is verse 34, which I give to you for a possession, and I put the plague of leprosy in a house of the land of your possession. Now you see there you have it attributed to the times when God does cause leprosy. 
He that owneth the house shall come and tell the priest, saying, It seemeth to me that there is, as it were, a plague in the house. Now, what do you think this plague looks like? Notice verse 37. He shall look on the plague, and behold, if the plague be in the walls of the house with hollow strakes, greenish or reddish, which are in the sight, which are in sight lower than the wall, the priest shall go out of the house and goes on to tell him to shut the house up for seven days and come back and look at it again. What could be in a house that would cause it to, in a wall, turn discolored? Is it Hansen's disease? No. Mold or algae. Did you notice the color there was greenish? So in the law, God says if you have a house that has a wall that is turned green or red, there's a spot on it, it's a plague, have the priests... Shut that house up if it continues to grow. He later tells them in this, take all the stones out that are affected by this greenish plague. Take it out and dispose of it in an unclean place. And then if it comes back, what do you do? You tear the house down. You tear the house down. You burn it. You destroy it. Why? Because it has a plague in it, what they would consider to be a plague. So houses could be, and I mean houses, houses, like the physical structure of a house could be afflicted with the plague of leprosy. And it was a form of mold or algae that would grow on a home. So you see the broad usage of this term. It doesn't merely have reference to the Old Testament man as what we know today as leprosy, which is Hansen's disease. Have you ever walked into a structure, a building, and immediately you know that there is mold all in that place. My eyes begin to water. My nose begins to get stuffy. I go out to the car and get an Allegra or a Benadryl or a Claritin because I will have allergic reactions to mold. If you notice here in our facility, on each end of the building in the two larger rooms, we have dehumidifiers. Why do we have dehumidifiers? To prevent our building from getting Mold. I have seen walls that have mold literally coating them. And that was actually considered a plague of home leprosy in the Old Testament. And God gave them ways in the law to deal with that, to clean it, to dispose of it, that their house be not unclean. This had two purposes that we'll consider today. The first, obviously, is for the health of the nation of Israel. But the second was a ceremonial purpose, which we'll talk more about in just a moment. In Leviticus chapter 13, backing up a chapter where we just were, you can see the latter verses of the 13th chapter talked about leprosy in a garment. Look at verse 47. The garment also that the plague of leprosy is in, whether it be a woolen garment or a linen garment, he goes on to describe what it would look like, how to deal with it, how to test it, and if it were in fact infected, thou shalt burn it in the fire, verse 55, it is fret inward, whether it be bare within or without. You have your priest take it, look at it, and you shall burn it. It is a spreading plague, verse 57, burn it with fire, burn it with fire. So this is obviously something that is greater than what we consider today to be leprosy or Hansen's disease. Had reference to all sorts of bacterial or fungal infections 
of the skin, of garments, or of a home. Leviticus 13, verse 1, The Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, saying, When a man have in the skin, in his flesh, a rising, a scab, or bright spot, and it be in the skin of his flesh like the plague of leprosy, then he shall be brought unto Aaron the priest, or unto one of his sons the priests, and the priest shall look on the plague in the skin of the flesh. Now, he gives him descriptions if it is white and the plague in sight be deeper than the skin of his flesh, it is the plague of leprosy, and the priest shall look on him and pronounce him what? Now, this is going to be important for some of the things that we talk about later. If a person has true leprosy, he is to be pronounced what? Unclean. How many of you have seen in Hollywood movies scenes of lepers where the leper is wrapped up head to foot and he cries, Unclean, unclean, unclean. And Hollywood depicts that many times in less than an accurate of a way, but it gives you a little bit of a graphic idea as to how people interpreted that. However, sometimes things such as psoriasis might not be and is not contagious. A skin cancer certainly would apply in some of these, you can read the remainder of this chapter, and there are several different descriptions of leprosy if you had some sort of a skin cancer. Is that skin cancer going to render you unclean and contagious? No. If you have melanoma, you can't give melanoma to the person beside you, can you? No. That's caused by other things. And so what the Bible is telling us here about cleanness and uncleanness doesn't have to do with any sort of pathogen, but it has to do with what we refer to as ceremonial uncleanness. Ceremonial uncleanness. Now, ancient man, particularly among the nation of Israel, read of leprosy and the uncleanness thereof, and of course many forms of that were contagious, and so what they would do to the leper is to put them away from everyone else, and no one would come near them, and certainly, certainly no one would touch someone who was afflicted with leprosy. I want that to stay in your mind for a moment as we come to the ministry of Jesus. People would not come near lepers, and they certainly would not touch lepers, but the primary focus of this word unclean didn't have to do with the pathogen or the spreading of disease among Israel. It had to do with the ceremonial law. What is the ceremonial law? It's the law that God gave the children of Israel through Moses as he led them out of Egypt as they wandered in the wilderness before going into Canaan's land. As a part of that ceremonial law, they had priests, the priests had garments, you had the tabernacle, you had the ark, you had the sacrifices, you had the feast days, the festivals, Passover, tabernacles, trumpets, unleavened bread, all of these feasts, those were parts of the ceremonial law. Theologians often divide God's law, the law of Moses, into three parts, the moral law to keep the Sabbath, to honor God, to not take God's name in vain, to have no graven images, and then the moral law, not to kill, not to steal, not to lie, not to covet. And then you have the civil law. If your ox falls in another man's pit that he has dug, the man is responsible to pay you the price of your ox, so on and so forth. 
And then you had ceremonial laws. Who was to be the priest? Aaron and his sons, the Levites. What were they to wear? What were their ages to be? Priests could only labor depending on what type of priest they were for a certain portion of their life. They didn't start out like we do as preachers and you know, retire when we die. But they would minister for a couple of decades and they would pass that on to the younger generation of priests. Ceremonial laws. Circumcision on the eighth day, ceremonial law. When a person was afflicted with leprosy, they were what we refer to as ceremonially unclean. In a ceremonial sense, they were unclean. What then was their life, if they were in a ceremonial way, unclean? They were unable to join with the congregation of Israel. And being unable to join with the congregation of Israel, they were unable to go to the tabernacle or later the temple. They were unable to offer sacrifices. They were unable to worship. And so to be unclean was to interject a separation between God and the person. To be ceremonially unclean meant that you could not approach unto God in worship. Can you see where preachers and theologians would make the parallel between leprosy and sin then? Leprosy separates you from approaching unto God. And what did you need if you were leprous? You needed cleansing. Sin separates you and prevents you from going unto God. And so what do you need if you were in your sin? You need cleansing. See how the parallel works, the type there? Remember that the Old Testament law was a shadow of good things to come. And so we find types and shadows of our relationship with Christ, our sinful condition. Many times these sicknesses and these illnesses were used to typify our condition as sinners. Now, by the way, you might think, well, that's, that's just discriminating against lepers. If you read the requirements on the priests... Any sort of infirmity rendered them unable to function, to operate, to work as a priest in the house of God. And there's a variety of them, some of them that I'm not even going to talk about. If this is your affliction, you are unable to be a priest. What do you think that's pointing towards? It's pointing towards our Savior Jesus in His perfection. Because to be the real priest of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to be perfect. Because that priest was also our offering who did no sin and His righteousness was imputed unto us when He took our sin upon Himself as our high priest. So all of these laws are pointing to Christ. Jesus told the Jews in John 5, Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which what? Which testify of me. They are they which do proclaim him. They point towards him. They're a shadow of him. They're typical of him. They typify him. Types and shadows pointing towards, representing the Lord Jesus, foreshadowing him and his work, his perfection. And you could spend the rest of your life talking about this from the Old Testament and never exhaust every way that 
the Old Testament scriptures point to Christ. These animals that were offered, they were the firstborn, they were without spot, they were without blemish, all of that pointing towards the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact that they had to die, the fact that the blood had to be shed, the fact that it was for atonement and sin and reconciliation and restoration, all of that pointing towards our Savior Jesus. And so the concept of ceremonial uncleanness doesn't mean that if a person has committed sin that they'll get leprosy and that every leper had committed sin. This is pointing to a deeper principle. It's pointing to a greater principle. It's pointing to our salvation from sin. We all, in the sight of God, in our sinful condition, we all are the lepers. We all are the person afflicted with leprosy, to put it in the modern PC way that the website told me to talk about it. The Bible says leper. I'm going to say leper. You can read the remainder of Leviticus chapter 13 and read about some of these indicators and the way that it should be dealt with. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. This is an amazing account. When he, that is Jesus, was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And Matthew points this out many times in his gospel account. When Jesus went about the countryside preaching the gospel and healing the sick, raising the dead, dividing the loaves and fishes between thousands of people, there were always multitudes, hundreds of people who were there following him, desiring a miracle. Some of them believed, some of them just wanted to be fed. Some of them saw the miracles and wanted to see more miracles. Some of them wanted their own healing, their own miracles. And so great multitudes followed him. I observe from the book of Matthew chapter 9, just a chapter over, when he saw the multitudes, verse 36, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. When Jesus traveled around the countryside, healing and casting out devils and raising the dead and feeding people. He always had compassion upon the multitudes. What a compassionate Savior we have. And that's going to be a part of what we look at from this Matthew 8 example. As Jesus was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord... If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus saith unto him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. As Jesus is traveling from place to place, this leper comes to him. And the first thing that we read is the leper worshipped him. And as the leper worships him, the leper calls him what? Calls him Lord. This leper knows some things about Jesus. He calls him Lord. Now this word Lord is 
the word that the Jews would even supplement for the name of Jehovah in the Old Testament. As they would come to the name Jehovah, the Tetragrammaton, the four consonant name of God in the Old Testament, when they would come to that name, they had such reverence for it, they wouldn't dare speak it, and they would supplement the word Lord for that word. And so our KJV translators follow suit in that, and they let us know when they translate the word Jehovah as the word Lord by placing it in all caps. What I want you to get from that point is the significance of this. The man, number one, worships Christ, and number two, calls Jesus the very same title that the Jews would use when they would refer to God himself. So this man knows some things about God. He knows some things about Jesus. He knows that Jesus is the Son of God. He worships Him. He worships Him. Now, as far as his request, I want you to notice this. If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. This depicts the proper perspective and attitude of prayer. There's a lot of people today who pray to God and they say, Lord, if you can, you will. Does that make you uncomfortable? If you can, you will. And what they're saying by that is we really don't know if you're the God of the universe, if you have all power, but if you can, you will. In other words, I, I name it and I claim it. I command you. And you think nobody dares have the audacity to tell God, I name it and claim it and command you to do this. Oh, but they do. They write books about it. They preach sermons about it. They deceive thousands and thousands of people into thinking that they can dictate and declare to God what He will do and their words will impact reality through commanding God. But you notice that that mentality is completely backwards of this man's perspective. He doesn't say, Lord, if you can, you will. In other words, if it's in your power, I order you to do it. No, he says, if you will, you can. In other words, I know that you can do this. I know that it is within your power. What I don't know, what I don't know is whether or not it's your will. And that is to be the mentality of the child of God as he comes to God in prayer. Lord, I know that you've got all power given unto you in heaven and in earth. As Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, all power is given me in heaven and in earth. He can do all his counsel. Nebuchadnezzar said of him in Daniel 4.35 that he works his will among the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand. Or say unto him, what doest thou? In other words, God does what God wants, when God wants, how God wants, if God wants. No one can stop him. No one can hinder him. No one can even question him. God does not look out like a politician among the angry masses of mankind and say, I'd like to do this if I only had your permission. God does what God wants to do. Because guess who He is? He is God. And if He is God, then we are not. And so it is not 
if you can, you will. It's if you will, I know that you can. James instructs us in the proper way to pray in his epistle. And he says not to say, I'm going to go into a city and abide there a year and buy and sell and so on and so forth and make gains. For we don't even know what a day will bring. We don't even know what tomorrow holds. And so when we pray, we should pray, Lord, if it is thy will. When we pray to God, we don't say, God, you will. We say, if it be thy will. And I have found that that is not limiting. That is not debilitating. That is invigorating. That is liberating. Because rather than me trying to, with limited, no understanding of the future, determine what I'm going to do, I say, God, whatever it is that is your will for me to do, that is what I want to do. Lead me, guide me, open the doors so that no man can close them, and close the doors so that no man can open them, so that whatever it is that I find myself doing, let it be according to thy will. We read of that great proverb in chapters 3 that when we acknowledge him in all of our ways and lean not unto our own understanding, that he does what? He guides our paths. When we say, if it is your will, we know that you can, And whatever it is, be it according to thy will. We're resting in the sovereign provision of the God who spoke the universe into being. This man's prayer depicts the correct alignment of these concepts in his heart. Lord, if it's your will, I know you can make me clean. Was it the will of Jesus? Now, I don't say things like that to give people false hope. But in the personal ministry of Jesus, it was always Jesus' will. I do not find one single time in his personal ministry that someone came to him and interacted with him and he said, No, I'm going to leave you as a leper. No, I'm going to leave you deaf. No, I'm going to leave your child sick nigh unto death. But every time in his personal ministry, in his personal presence, that someone was sick and that someone was afflicted every single time, the Lord Jesus said, it is my will. And he would heal them. Does that mean that every time we're sick, it's God's will to heal us? No, no. The Lord Jesus didn't die upon the cross of Calvary so that we live trouble-free lives in this world, but so that we live trouble-free lives in the next world. That's his focus. That's his concern. But remember, so many times in the history of the Word of God and the people of God, God does act in these physical ways to give us a glimpse into the spiritual realities that we believe. He's cleansing the lepers. He's giving sight to the blind. He's giving hearing to the deaf. He does all the things that he does to point to greater principles that there is healing in Christ of afflictions far greater than leprosy that don't just separate us from the camp of Israel but separate us from the people of God for eternity. And the solution to those illnesses, the solution to that sin, that plague, that affliction 
is Christ. Jesus, as he hears this, Lord, if you will, put forth his hand, and what does he do? He touches him. Can you hear the gasp fall across the multitude of people? Have you ever been in one of those moments that something happens and everyone is talking and milling about and then all of a sudden that happens and then everyone immediately hushes and gasps and stares and a hush falls upon the crowd? We've all been in moments such as that. We've all been in moments such as that. Jesus reaches out his hand and he touches the untouchable. He places his hand on the leper. And what does he say? I will. Understand the word will implies desire. I will. This is why in legal documents there's a difference in the word will and shall. Shall is a stronger term. He shall save his people from their sins. Not merely that he wills it, not merely that he desires it, but he shall. It was non-negotiable. It was going to happen. In legal documents, it is shall, 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 shall. And yet Jesus doesn't say, I shall. He says, I will. We lose sight of that because we run them as synonyms today. But what Jesus is telling them is, is that it is my desire to heal you. I am glad to heal you. Be thou clean. Clean again is a derivative of the word what? Cleansed. The root of the word cleansed. Be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Think of the social stigma, the wall that Jesus just burst right through. He doesn't respect it. He doesn't honor it. He does what he wants to do because he's God in the flesh which in this case was to cleanse one of his afflicted children. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Again, think of the wall, the separation there. He couldn't worship God. He couldn't gather with the people on the feast days. This man was ostracized because of his ceremonial uncleanness. And by this time, Hansen's disease, leprosy was actually a thing in this region. It could very well be that he was... Carrying a pathogen, something that is contagious and could afflict other people. And Jesus just touches him and heals him. What does he say? See thou tell no man. So many times Jesus would say this in his ministry. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. They would cause such an uproar that He couldn't even travel about and minister to people because of the great crowds who would press on him. But rather, show yourself to the priest. We read that from Leviticus 13. And offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Later in those two chapters about leprosy in Leviticus 13 and 14, if a person was cleansed of leprosy, they were to go and show themselves to the priest and make offerings unto God. This still being in the Old Testament, Jesus says to go, show yourself to the priest as was lawful. 
and offered the sacrifice that was commanded in Moses. That is to say, the first five books of the Bible. It wasn't merely Moses' commandment. It was God's commandment. But the first five books of the Bible were referred to as Moses, as it is written in Moses. Finally, Leviticus chapter 17, and this is where we'll close our thoughts today. I left in your mind a seed that was intentional, that of thanksgiving. Because this next week on Thursday, we celebrate what is known as Thanksgiving. A day that we come together with a thankful heart and we feast to give thanks to God for all that He has done for us. And there is a time to fast, but there is a time to feast. There is a time to celebrate and to thank God for His provision in our lives. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus comes across a group of ten lepers. came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. It implies that they're perhaps what we would refer to as a leper's colony. A group of ten lepers who lived ostracized all by themselves, unable to be with everyone else. The stigma of their infirmity driving a separation between them and the rest of the people. They lift up their voices. They see Jesus. They begin to cry and to scream, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when He saw them, He said unto them, Go, show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass as they went, they were cleansed. He didn't touch these lepers. What's a lesson that you can glean from that? Over in Matthew 8, he touches the leper. In Luke 17, he simply speaks. He doesn't have one way of healing, even the same afflictions. He does it how he chooses to do it, many times depending upon the circumstance and the audience. With these lepers, they're far off. He simply says, go show yourself to the priest. They go to the priest, and as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. This man returns to Jesus. He goes to the priest. The priests are not standing there with Jesus. Goes to the priest, sees that he's healed with these other nine men. And then he comes back to Jesus and does it say with a very soft-spoken, mild voice, kind of milly mouths around and, well, thank you, Lord, I guess I should go home. No, he's making a show. He's making a scene. This man has spent a substantial portion of his life alienated from everyone and unable to worship God, not to mention the pain of the physical infirmity with which he was afflicted, and yet he'd been cleansed. He comes back to Jesus with a loud voice and glorified God. He's shouting and screaming and maybe he's jumping around. Imagine you just got healed from leprosy. What do you do? I jump. I shout for joy. Maybe we need more emotion in our services if we feel ourselves to be cleansed lepers. 
This man comes to Jesus and he begins to shout. And he fell down on his face at his feet. If you just thought in your mind, that sounds embarrassing. Maybe you don't realize how great of a leprosy you've been cleansed from. He falls down on his face at the feet of Jesus. And he gave him thanks. He's worshiping him. As literal as you can worship someone, this man is worshiping Jesus. Notice the last phrase in verse 16, and he was a Samaritan. Samaritans were the descendants of the northern kingdom. You remember Israel divided after the days of Solomon into the northern and the southern kingdoms. You had the northern kingdom, Israel, and the southern kingdom, Judah. Unlike Judah, they quickly, or more quickly, more rapidly, lost their land. Their worship was corrupted and polluted. They began to take wives and husbands from the Gentiles of the regions into which they were carried into captivity. And the Jews of the first century no longer regarded them as being, in their mind, authentic or pure. And so they were referred to as the Samaritans. Samaritans. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? They are not found that returned. There are not found that returned to give God glory, give glory to God, save this stranger. Think about it. And that implies that some of them that went to the priest were Jews. And yet the only one who returned to give God thanks was this stranger. He said unto this one man, Go thy way, thy faith has made thee whole. What picture does this leave with us about a thankful heart? We're not naturally inclined to be thankful to God. 90% of the lepers that were cleansed at that moment never returned to give God thanks. You say, well, we don't do that. How many times have we prayed for something to receive what we prayed for and in receiving what we prayed for, went about our business not to praise God, not giving God the thanks, not giving God the glory, which, by the way, to be thankful is to give God the glory. To give God the glory is to be thankful. You say, I want to glorify God in my life. It starts with being thankful. If I'm unthankful, I'm not glorifying Him the way that I should. What's, what picture does this leave with us about a thankful heart? Our takeaway? We're not inclined to be as thankful as we ought to be. And I leave that with you as a final word as we go into this next Thanksgiving week. May we give God the glory with thankful hearts for all that He's done for us.